the text is Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ shall, even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In just a few minutes, the choir is going to sing the Te Deum. Those two words are... Uh, the first two Latin words of the, of the uh, song that's printed there, you can look at it. Te Deum Laudamus are the first three words in Latin. We praise Thee, O God. The text, um, I think, goes back farther than is written there at the bottom of the text on the next page. It says the 5th century through Ambrose and Augustine. Um, the, the little research I did said that in all likelihood, Ambrose, who became the Bishop of Milan in 374, that's the 4th century, um, translated it and adapted it to a new kind of music in his day from an earlier Greek text, which may have gone back much earlier. So probably what we have here is a, a growing text in the history of the church that came together to express the praises of the people of God in a time we will see that was not easy. It wasn't easy to be a Christian in the third, in the early part of the fourth century of these millennia. In the second stanza, you'll notice there that the choir is going to declare to God that there are three groups of people long dead who are praising God today. In the present tense, it says, The glorious company of the apostles praise thee, not praised thee. The goodly fellowship of the prophets praise thee. The noble army of the martyrs praise thee. And so they're going to be declaring the biblical truth that the apostles are not dead. They're alive. And the prophets are not dead. They're alive. And the martyrs are not dead. They are alive today and they are praising God in heaven. And when the choir lifts its voice in praise, so will the martyrs and the apostles and the prophets. And there's a great biblical truth here that when you die in the Lord, you do not die. I remember a funeral I went to for James Morgan, a professor in seminary who was 36 years old when he died. And Lewis Mead stood up and preached his sermon. And I just remember the one resounding cry, because Lewis Smee's always looked like God to me with his long flowing white hair and six feet, six inches tall. And he said, Jim Morgan is not dead. 
remember that ringing through that great chapel and believing it with all my heart and wanting to preach that and make that truth known with my life. The Apostle Paul here in this text says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. Now, how can he say that? To die is gain. He can say it because he also believed to lose everything but Jesus and gain Jesus would be gain. That's the question that faces us this morning. When we were putting this service together and uh, we were pondering what I should say in these few minutes of meditation, I looked through this and I said, Dean, I want to talk about this line. The noble army of the martyrs praise thee. Because we're in a series of messages right now about courage, about risk-taking, about fearlessness and boldness. The righteous are bold as a lion. I said, that's what I want to talk about. The noble army of martyrs praise thee. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what every martyr believed. Every martyr, as he faced death, had to make a choice about where his heart was. Do I love Christ and long for fellowship with him in heaven more than I love life on this earth? Do I love Christ more than I love falling in love with her? Is Christ worth more than marrying and having children? Is Christ worth more than seeing my children grow up and become independent? Is Christ worth more than making a name for myself in some job or career? Is Christ worth more than finishing my career? Is Christ worth more than my dream spouse or my dream house or my dream cruise or my dream retirement? Is Christ worth more than all my unfinished plans? That was the question that had to be posed by every martyr, and they all answered, He is, and they died. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves this morning. Is Christ worth more to us than the completion right now of all your dreams? And they might be noble dreams, godly dreams, missionary dreams, influencing people for righteousness. Not sinful dreams. The stories of the martyrs put that question to us this morning. Do we love Christ more than we love life? David, before he knew Christ, answered it this way. O God, thou art my God, I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee, my flesh faints for thee, as in a dry and weary land where no water is. Because thy steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise thee. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. If you have to choose between staying alive on this earth to finish your three score and ten, or have the love of God 
You choose God. You choose God. David did. Paul did. All the martyrs did. Joseph, son of the Romanian Missionary Society, said Christianity is a religion of martyrdom because its founder was a martyr. What he means by that is, it says in Revelation 1.5, he was a faithful witness unto death. And the word witness in Greek is martyr. And the reason that the word martyr in Greek came to mean martyr is because to be a faithful witness so often meant to die. One writer describing those early centuries uh, described it in ways that were terrifying. I'll read it to you in a minute. Let me lead you up to it with this just sequence of martyrs. Stephen was the first martyr after Jesus. He was stoned to death in Jerusalem. And his death set release to a persecution that drove the Christians out of their comfort zone into the world. James, the apostle, was the first apostle to be killed. Herod put him to death with the sword. And the result was a great outpouring of prayer when the same thing almost happened to Peter. And then the apostle John, near the end of the New Testament period, had a vision... And he saw in heaven, underneath an altar, the souls of all the martyred. So by the time John wrote his letter, there had been many, many martyrs. And this is what happened. He saw them and they were crying out to the Lord as to how long it would be until they were vindicated in the world. And it would no longer look as if they were the defeated ones, but their killers are really the defeated ones. How long, O Lord, how long until you vindicate your name and our cause for which we died? And the answer that comes back to them is stunning. Rest for a little while longer until... The number of your fellow servants and your brethren who are to be killed, even as you have been, should be complete. There's a number. Martyrdom does not take God off guard. Martyrdom is no surprise to God. Martyrdom is no interruption in the plans of God. It always looks like that. Look, Stephen, the most articulate, the most godly, his face shines like an angel, and he's dying. Lord, what are you doing? And God says, I've got a number. I know who they are. And I will not wrap up the kingdom until the full number of the martyrs whom I have appointed comes in under the altar. Sort of changes your perspective on things, doesn't it? The death of Stephen must have stunned the Jerusalem church. The most and the best. Remember when my professor in in graduate school died, 62, just before he finished his magnum opus on the New Testament. 
thought, Lord, <laughs> just three more years. The death of James must have rocked the Christian community in Jerusalem. One of the twelve, the foundation of the church is shaking. If James goes and Peter is now in jail, and what must it have meant to the community in Rome when both Peter and Paul went down together? I mean, what they must have thought. What are you doing, God? Three hundred years. Three hundred years before there was any let up in the Roman Empire. Christianity grew in the soil that was wet with the blood of the martyrs until the Emperor Trajan in about 98 A.D. Persecution was permitted but not legal. From Trajan to Decius, 250 A.D., persecution was legal but mainly local. And from Decius down to the first Edict of Toleration under uh, the emperor, his name, Constantine, in 311, it was both legal and general and widespread. So from Jesus and Stephen to 311, to be a Christian was to risk your life. And in that context, the church exploded. Now, let me read you that quote I referred to a minute ago. Horror spread everywhere through the congregations. This is when it was legalized. And the number of lapsi, that is the ones who lapsed in their faith and caved in and renounced Christ, was enormous. There was no lack, however, of such as remained firm and suffered martyrdom rather than yielding. And as the persecution grew wider and more intense, the enthusiasm of the Christians and their power of resistance grew stronger and stronger. So for 300 years, to be a Christian was an act of immense risk to life and possessions and family. It was a test. And at the extremity of that test was martyrdom. And above that martyrdom was a sovereign God who said, there's an appointed number. And they have a special role to play in planting the church and empowering the church. And they have a special role to play in shutting the mouth of Satan, who is always standing before the face of God and saying, it's only because things go better for your people that they believe in you. And martyrs are the means by which God puts that mouth shut. And they have a special place in the choir. The noble army of the martyrs praise you today, Lord, with us, with the choir. And they look down as a great host of witnesses to see whether we will lay aside every weight and every sin and every care and run the race that is set before us looking to Jesus who himself despised the shame and took up the cross and bled and died to set a pattern for how it might be for those who would be faithful to him 
And they look down and they ask us as we sing now, do you love me? Speaking for Jesus, do you love me more than you love life? Oh, Father, as we sing, as the choir lifts its voice in the Te Deum Laudamus that comes from those centuries when there was no escape and when it was a great test to be a Christian, would you create love in our hearts, Father? Create it and make us to be ready to bear a faithful witness to you, no matter what. In Jesus' name.